Velkommen til Computational Thinking at tænke med maskiner. En podcast fra IT Vest om informatik og brugen af komputationelle metoder i forskning, uddannelse og undervisning. I denne og de følgende tre episoder skal vi op i perspektiv, når det handler om informatik, digitale kompetencer og komputationelle metoder. Vi skal nemlig tage fat på spørgsmålet om, hvad universiteterne gør for at sikre kandidaternes digitale kompetencer og styrke deres evner for computational thinking. Tilbage i episode 14, der hørte vi jo fra Universitetet i Oslo, hvor man har grundlagt det såkaldte CCSE, Center for Computing in Science Education. Her arbejder man med at undersøge, hvordan komputationelle metoder kan bruges især i fysikuddannelsen, men de ser også på, hvordan metoderne samtidig grundlæggende ændrer, hvordan man overhovedet underviser. I denne episode tager vi endnu længere ud i verden, nærmere bestemt til det prestigefulde MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, over i Boston, eller retter i forstaden Cambridge. Her har man for et par år siden skabt et undervisningsprogram, som hedder Common Ground, fælles grundlag, som dels handler om at lære for eksempel humanister eller biologistuderende at bruge computationelle værktøjer, men samtidig også er meget fokuseret på at give datalogi og ingeniørstuderende for eksempel input fra andre fag. I think it's very important to do this infusion both ways. There are many uh, CS students and faculty uh, that are actually very interested in these new questions that are coming from different disciplines and it's I think very important that this is done in a collaborative way. Vi har talt med Asu Ostaglar som leder Common Ground på MIT og med to af underviserne fra projektet. Og det betyder også at store dele af den her episode foregår på engelsk. Jeg skal nok samle lidt op undervejs bare for en god ordens skyld. I de næste to episoder, der skal vi så høre om indsatsen på Aarhus Universitet, og til sidst der besøger vi DTU i Lyngby, hvor man også er i gang med at søgesætte tilsvarende initiativer. Så hvis man er interesseret i undervisning i digitale kompetencer og det, man kunne kalde tosprogede kandidater, så er det altså bare at hægte sig på. Vi håber, at podcasten kan tjene til både oplysning og inspiration, og at den kan være med til at danne og forstærke netværk mellem undervisere og forskere, der bruger eller ønsker at bruge komputationelle tankegange og metoder i hverdagen. Jeg hedder Anders Høgh Nissen. Velkommen til. Vi skal som sagt i denne episode høre mere om Common Ground-initiativet på MIT, og jeg har talt med Aso Ostaglar, der leder projektet. ASU, der oprindeligt kommer fra Tyrkiet, men også selv er uddannet på MIT, har en helt håndfuld af titler. Men den vigtigste her er altså hendes rolle som leder af Common Ground, og så at hun til hverdag har sin gang på MIT's Schwarzman College of Computing. Schwarzman blev grundlagt så sent som i 2018 med over 350 millioner dollars i ryggen fra IT-milliardæren Steven Schwarzman, og målet med fakultetet er både at bidrage med forskning i datalogi og softwareudvikling, og at hjælpe med at udvikle undervisningen i datalogi og andre aspekter af den digitale verden. Det fortæller altså her Aso Ostaglar. I'm Aso Ostaglar. Uh, I am a faculty member in the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at uh, MIT. I also serve currently as the head of this department and I also have a dual role in the Schwarzman College of Computing. I serve it as its deputy dean of academics. Could you also please uh, Asu um, introduce me to the Schwarzman College of Computing please? Sure. Uh, 
so Schwarzman uh, College of Computing is uh, a new and uh, bold uh, initiative uh, of MIT. Uh, the goal is very much to address, uh, I guess, both the opportunities as well as the challenges that come about with the information and computing revolution. Uh, and uh, if we look at sort of a little bit uh, deeper into the college's uh, mission, uh, it has really a three-pronged mission. The first one is really to advance core computing uh, education and research. This is most notably in computer science and artificial intelligence. The second uh, sort of mission is very exciting, and that is to infuse computing with all other disciplines, and really, uh, it's not one directional. It's really bi-directional exchanges to advance both, uh, and I think this is important to emphasize. Uh, and the third part, which I also think uh, is very important, is uh, you know thinking about deeply about the social and ethical uh, considerations uh, when we're thinking about both developing and deploying computing technologies. Uh, because of the very broad uh, relevance and applicability uh, of these uh, tools and, and systems. So we do this uh, in research, education, as well as the practice of these technologies. I denne sammenhæng, der skal vi dog især fokusere på det andet ben af målet med Schwarzman College, altså det, som handler om undervisningen i komputationelle metoder og digitale kompetencer. Og her støder man meget hurtigt på begrebet Bilingual, altså at være tosproget, og det bliver et centralt koncept i denne og næste episode. Sagt helt kort og med altså en oplagt metafor, så handler det om, at studerende eller færdiguddannede kandidater for den sags skyld i de kommende år helst skal kunne tale to sprog, deres eget fag og så det digitale sprog. When we say computing bilingual, uh, we really mean uh, you know students, scholars or practitioners that are fluent uh, you know in both uh, the ideas and methodologies of computing but also of their own discipline i think the reason for sort of uh, why this is important uh, is i think computing is now uh, pervasive uh, in all disciplines uh, academic disciplines industry sectors or uh, you know uh, public good uh, areas i mean we're seeing this in our uh, uh, you know academic systems students are flocking into uh, computer science education and most of the time i think uh, they're not just interested in a, a traditional computer science education but really to be able to combine it with the domain or disciplines that they are interested in. So it's, I think, both the student demand as well as sort of the problems of academic disciplines as well as demand coming from industry sectors to have people that can have an understanding, deep understanding uh, of both. And I think uh, what is very important here, I, I truly believe what will be the frontier is to have people who are not really, you know, I have this hammer and I'm looking for a nail for it, uh, but really someone that can deeply understand you know, forefront computing tools and methods, but also the key questions of a particular domain and can actually combine them. And I, I think, you know, at its best, we will basically see new questions being asked, new effective methods being formulated. So this is why I think it's important to have this bilingual uh, uh, people who could actually bring this in an effect, bring these two sides in an effective manner. Mm-hmm. 
så vidt den grundlæggende idé om tosprogethed og om at skabe studerende, der både kan tale deres eget sprog og tale computersk, så at sige. Men hvordan tilrettelægger man så en uddannelse, der kan støtte den ambition? MIT's bud på en løsning hedder Common Ground, fortæller Asu Osterglar. So uh, the common ground is uh, basically the educational platform uh, that the college has launched uh, about three years ago to exactly address uh, this question of how can we bring expertise across MIT to do coordinated computing education across the institute. Uh, so it's a very novel platform and uh, we're working with a number of faculty on figuring out what it is actually. Because it's, as I said, it's a new platform that brings multi-department teaching, interdisciplinary teaching. And uh, we started really by saying we have to be flexible because we really don't know what this is. We came up with some principles in terms of what should be common ground classes. And then um, we basically started sort of going around departments, talking to faculty, understanding the needs and interests and sort of uh, we started uh, facilitating people faculty from different departments to work together on some pilot classes so in the first year we did three pilots with using very different models and then it started growing uh, in terms of you know the uh, number of classes we're trying out the subcommittees you know being having members from different departments worked on you know, understanding what are the needs for different departments in this area, what are the common needs, and there, there's some common needs, and maybe there's some customization depending on the department and area. And uh, so it was a combination of, uh, you know, common ground identifying areas, uh, as well as, you know, uh, uh, identifying faculty interested in the, teaching these courses. But at the same time, we also wanted it to be, you know, broadly known across the campus. So we also did open calls for proposals uh, for, uh, you know, classes uh, in the common ground. And uh, to to make sure we were able to bring people together, we supplemented those calls for proposals with workshops that actually invite faculty from across the campus to come together, explain to them what we mean by common ground and help actually make connections. So almost like, uh, uh, you know, matchmaking type workshops, which were very successful, very well attended and brought people from CS and architecture together to think about, uh, you know, new classes. So that's how we've been operating. And it's been uh, quite uh, successful in making these connections uh, across the campus. Do you have any examples um, that you can uh, share of of courses that came out of this uh, workshopping or collaboration, uh, exploration of of which courses were needed? One that I'm very excited about uh, is a new modeling with machine learning class, which was actually developed by faculty from eight departments. Um, They came and said, This is going to be different from a machine learning class that is usually taught in computer science departments. You know, we have another class at MIT, uh, machine uh, machine learning in in my department, uh, ECS. The goal there is very much about teaching the inner workings of uh, you know 
uh, these algorithms or methodologies to students and actually one after the other, many different classifiers, many different algorithms. Instead, this new class focuses on modeling. And it's really about how do you use these tools uh, in an effective manner in different uh, disciplines. So that's about key difference, I think, uh, of this class. The other, I think, novelty they came up with was they wanted to teach uh, things in sort of coordinated two modules, a core module and a disciplinary module. So they, they basically designed a core module that talks about the core methodologies relevant to many disciplines. So there was just one common core and then followed by several disciplinary modules. So this is all the way from, you know, molecular engineering to nuclear science and engineering to sustainability, all the way to supply chains. So we started with five disciplinary modules. Uh, this was, as I mentioned, uh, two years ago. And then every year now, another department comes and says, I want to do another module in biology. I want to do another module in uh, uh, Sloan. And the most interesting thing actually is this term, uh, one of our faculty in, from ECS came and said, I want to do a module in computer science. <laughs> so uh, I think I'm just uh, giving this example to say that the goal of this class is different. It's not one, you know, one is more advanced than the other. This is about conceptual issues uh, in machine learning and how you use it to address, formulate problems in different disciplines. Hmm. For me, one of the most um, fascinating aspects of, of the work that you've described and and what I've read about on your on your site is the the, the bidirectionalness, if that's a word, of of the um, of the effort. Um, I, I think that many people, if they hear about the need for computational thinking or for for bilingualness, they they think that we'll we'll take students that are not CS students and we'll teach them CS tools basically. But it's much more bidirectional. Yeah. The CS classes are also influenced by the uh, disciplines or, or other areas of, of of study or research. I would like to hear your your perhaps. A bit more about the how how does that work or, or what are your thoughts on that on the importance of that bidirectionalness which is now a word yeah uh, <laughs> absolutely it's a good word <laughs> we can use it from now on uh, it's it's actually I, i think it's very important to do this infusion both ways uh, uh, i mean there are many uh, Uh, CS students and faculty uh, that are actually very interested in these new questions that are coming from different disciplines. Life sciences is a good example, uh, but material design is another. And uh, these, I think, new novel directions uh, very much come with novel, uh, you know, ways of using computing tools. And it actually brings in new formula, need for new formulations, new representations, new methodologies and algorithms. And it's, I think, very important that this is done in a in a uh, collaborative way. So that's why I wanted to mention in the beginning this sort of approach of I have a hammer, I'll go use it uh, wherever I can find a problem. I don't think that's uh, the way, uh, that's the need here. It's really about, you know, uh, domain students being fluent in computing methodologies, but at the same time, 
those computing students and faculty interested in working on these problems, really learning about key questions, collaborating with experts in these uh, different domains to be able to actually do uh, impactful and effective work uh, in this area. So I'm, I'm using it both to refer to research and education uh, because I think it's an idea that applies to both. Som ESO fortæller, så har mange forskellige personer fra mange forskellige fag på MIT bidraget til at udvikle moduler på Common Ground. Og det viser jo også, at det med komputationelle metoder sagtens kan gå på tværs. Men tværfagligheden stikker også dybere, for tosprogheden går begge veje, altså både fra datalogi til andre fag og fra andre fag til datalogien. Og det er præcis en del af målet med Common Ground, og det som jeg lige om lidt her i interviewet kalder for bidirectionalness. For ja, humanister og biologistuderende skal lære om komputationelle metoder og værktøjer, men deres input skal også være med til at oplyse og udvikle de samme metoder og værktøjer, og ikke mindst, hvad de i øvrigt bliver brugt til. Til sidst i episoden her, der fortæller Aso Osterklar fra MIT mere om Common Ground og erfaringerne fra de første par år. Men først så tager vi lige et dyk lidt mere ned i de kurser, de studerende kan tage eller har kunnet tage derovre. Hvis man klikker ind på oversigten, så er der et par håndfulde at vælge imellem, selvom udbuddet skifter fra semester til semester. Aktuelt så er det for eksempel sådan noget som Physical Systems Modeling and Design Using Machine Learning og Real World Computation with Julia, og så et kursus, der ganske kort hedder Encoding Culture. Og det bliver afviklet i et samarbejde mellem Catherine Clark og Ryan Ahmed. Hej, I'm Catherine Clark. I'm Associate Professor of History and French Studies and the Faculty Director of MIT's Digital Humanities Lab. And I am Ryan Ahmed. I am the Associate Director of MIT's Digital Humanities Lab. Um, and at MIT, I am a Senior Research Engineer. Og hvad går kurset Encoding Culture så ud på i lidt flere detaljer? Ryan fortæller. So the subject was inspired by the work that we've been doing in the lab for the last five years. <clears throat> As Catherine said, what we realized over the course of the last few years is that our greatest deliverable is not the faculty research that we do, but rather a sort of transformative experience that our students have. They come in as purely engineering students, but they have a background and interest in the social sciences and the arts and the humanities. <clears throat> and our lab presents them with a space where they can integrate these two parts of their identity and find out that as technical people, they have a unique contribution to make in the humanistic disciplines. And so encoding culture is all about questions of how cultural artifacts, how texts, how images, how audio, how music, you know, how tabular data sets about people, how these things are encoded on a computer, and then how you might analyze them on a computer, but also this really subtle point of what are the things that we lose when we encode on a computer? What are the things that we lose when we try to do large-scale quantitative analysis on data sets of, of cultural artifacts, right? And in this class, we take that kind of literally. We literally look bit by bit, you know, what is a text file actually and you we you know there there are kinds of artifacts like text where you might think oh that's like a solved problem surely text is an easy like computer text is a straightforward um how do i say unambiguous representation of human language and then you start looking at what a text file is and you realize oh no uh, there are people's names that still can't be represented in the standard encoding schemata that we have for um encoding text things like that 
Ryan siger også, at de studerende på kurset kommer vidt omkring i deres afsluttende projekter med dataanalyse af kulturelle fænomener. Fra influencer-undskyldninger på YouTube over klimadiskussioner på Reddit til Pokémon-popularitet og meget mere. Og så har de øvrigt også brugt en base med 100.000 gamle fotos fra Paris som udgangspunkt til at lære de studerende nogle grundlæggende ting om, hvordan man overhovedet begynder at stille de rigtige spørgsmål til den slags kulturelle data. For de teknisk funderede studerende på kursus, de kommer typisk med en masse fine modelværktøjer og bud på dataanalyser, men de ved ikke nødvendigvis særlig meget om, hvordan man takler kulturelle fænomener og stiller gode spørgsmål i den sfære. I started working in the lab before I directed on a project that was attempting to look at 100.000 photos of Paris taken in 1970. Uh, the project is called This Was Paris in 1970 and the students We asked the students not just to help develop tools that used machine learning to like do object detection and some formal analysis on these photos, but we also asked them to do research projects with the photos. And the students really had a hard time coming up with research questions, right? This was a very hard thing for them because many of them, what they wanted to do was count things, right? They wanted to count how many cars were in a photo or they wanted to develop a tool that would tell you which photos were good and which photos were bad, right? So I think that that one of the things we really worked with the students on was not just on coding on the project, but about what types of questions can you ask with this material and, and what types of questions, not just could you ask with a computer, like counting, say, but would you want to ask from the point of view of a historian who's maybe not interested in how many cars you see in the photos, right? Yeah, and this is a thread that we sort of pull on in the class. So, you know, I sort of talked about the second half of each unit exposing the students to higher level um, tools to do this sort of large scale data analysis on lots of different books or images or audio files or whatever. But for many of those assignments, actually, what I have the students do rather than write a bunch of code Um, is sit down and make five research proposals. So we learn a bunch of techniques, we implement some of the techniques, and then I have them say, okay, how would you actually use this? What kinds of questions might you ask? What are the interesting consequences of doing this work? What are the pitfalls? What kinds of problems might you have um, when you try to quantify these research questions? Um, and for Catherine's project, which is all about looking at this large collection of images, a bunch of students did exactly what she said there. They proposed let's sort all the images by which are best and which are worse. And then over the course of the semester, you get to have these great conversations and sort of see them realize, oh, okay, maybe a scholar isn't interested in that kind of normative judgment. Maybe asking a computer what is best isn't really a coherent question to ask a computer, right? Maybe value judgments are not the things that we want to automate. Um, and the really cool thing is that that exact group by the end of the semester had made this really incredible, very specific tool where they annotated all of the images in this large collection with uh, lines of perspective and vanishing points such that you could sort of sort the collection by compositional style of the photo, right? And so to, in order to get to that point, they had to make this intellectual journey from, okay, computers just going to rank all the images, there's a notion of best, to there are very specific things about these photos that someone who's a historian looking at photos might be interested in capturing. How can we write sophisticated computer tools for this very specific problem? And then really just go, like that last step of actually being able to write the code themselves to do the thing is, is sort of the, the, the finishing touch on the whole thing. So that's kind of the, 
the whole process of a semester in our lab and that's really what inspired the class. Som vi var lidt inde på tidligere, så er en central del af ideen om tosprogethed hos MIT at pilen peger begge veje så at sige. Så ja, det handler om at lære komputationelle metoder til studerende på fag, hvor de ikke nødvendigvis er en del af undervisningen allerede, men også at give dataloger eller ingeniører nye input fra de andre fag. På MIT er de fleste, som tager kurset i Encoding Culture, præcis datalogistuderende, som er tidlig i deres studie og interesseret i det her krydsfelt mellem kultur og computer. Og for Ryan og Catherine er det også godt at fange dem tidligt. For det handler altså både om at lære de studerende værktøjer inden for machine learning, AI, dataanalyser osv., og om at lære dem nogle grundlæggende ting om at tænke sig om og stille spørgsmål og overveje konsekvenserne af sit arbejde. Two things very early in their education as an engineer, as a software engineer, someone going out to make things with computers. And that's first that with only a semester of undergraduate Python under their belts, they can do really powerful things, like amazing things with computers that can produce new insights in these fields because they can leverage that power to look at lots and lots and lots of things and ask these questions. And second, to show them how difficult that work is very quickly and how subtle it is and how easy it is to make mistakes and how easy it is to just like think that you're going to come in as the person in statistics and quantification and solve problems that these people haven't been able to solve for decades. And they realize, oh, no, actually, it's really hard work. We can't just come in and solve everything because we have computers. Um, my hope is that when students are exposed to this kind of work, They realize it's difficult. They realize it's messy. They realize there's a lot of uh, vagueness. And I mean, that's sort of in the technical sense. There are things that are very difficult to quantify, things that are very difficult to binarize. And that as they sit with that, they realize that's actually the case for all of their work. It's it's not just within this domain. Engineering work exists in the real world. If you're making software, you're making it for people who have real human concerns. Um, and if you don't consider those human factors if you are not a humanist when you start doing your engineering work you make bad work and you make bad work that today has extremely uh, as we've seen potentially catastrophic consequences for society Catherine would you like to add anything yeah I mean that was so well said I think that Ryan really encapsulated what we're trying to do which is make engineers who think deeply about the things that they are building and think about the disconnect or the pot- the potential for overlap and the potential in a kind of messy human world and a world of ones and zeros. Uh, and we want them to understand that that exists, think about how you make marry those two things and and be fully conscious of the human implications of doing that work. When you're teaching an interdisciplinary class like this, there is a tendency to think the thing that will take the most time, the thing that's going to be the hardest, is the technical teaching. And I've fallen into this trap so many times myself, and by now you'd think that I would have learned a lesson. But even this past semester teaching this class for the first time I did this again, the thing that is the hardest to communicate to undergraduates or to people who are not experienced in doing research is how to pose good questions. It's not the technical work at all. And personally, I wish that this first time I had spent more time up front working with the students on how to pose good questions. I feel like by the end of the semester, we got there. Teaching students how to to ask good questions is way harder than teaching them how computers can count a lot of things really fast in fancy ways. Mm. That's, That's probably the biggest lesson, actually, from this class for me. Sure. 
that is what we have learned from the digital humanities lab in general, right? It's like the lab sort of started thinking that we were going to use technical students to work on these problems. And what we really learned is that we needed to teach students what these types of humanistic and, and social scientific problems are and, and how to think about them. Um, so I think that is the big, that is our big takeaway. Jeg bad også Catherine Clark og Ryan Ahmed om at fortælle lidt om deres tanker, når det handler om selve ideen om tosprogethed. Og her kom vi så hurtigt ind på en efterhånden gammel tanke om to kulturer, en naturvidenskabelig og en humanistisk, der dog bliver set i lidt mere moderne optik her. I'm a person who teaches in French and studies French things, right? So I am bilingual, and I think that one of the things that bilingualness affords you is not just the ability to speak one language and to speak another language, but to think about what you can do specifically at the intersection of those things. And so this is something we think a lot about in the lab, right? Giving our students tools to be fluent in both languages and understand that they have a unique capability to think about the intersection of problems that appear when when those two languages are either spoken together, when they're translated, when they're mistranslated, right? That this that they have unique powers and capabilities because they speak two languages. Yeah, I think Catherine captures it exactly, you know, in my own experience. So I'm I'm Bengali British American. <laughs> I have uh, three passports and speak two languages, right? And I grew up in this funny milieu of two different cultures. And it's exactly the experience that Catherine is describing. Um, so for me, it's maybe not the language thing, but more the the two cultures and the humanities and STEM are also not just a set of different languages, but a set, a set of different cultures and cultural values and assumptions. And so um, the analogy maps, I think, just exactly, you know, having to think specifically about what you're valuing and how you're categorizing things because you're coming from two different systems that value and categorize things in completely different ways one of the strengths of being a bilingual is that you feel a little bit like a stranger in both cultures, right? And so we want to yes. create students who bring their sense of the strangeness of those two cultures as they navigate between them. So they might question underlying assumptions in the computer sciences, and they might question underlying assumptions in the humanities and social sciences and arts, right? That they are always wondering why these assumptions exist and if they should. Right, as they move between A follow-up to this. I mean, Catherine and I are are both people who've experienced, I think, you know, when we were undergraduates, for instance, that sense of like, we're weirdly between worlds. And when we were doing these things as undergraduates, there was not a community of folks like that. You had to find the other weirdos who were doing that kind of intersectional work. So our class and our lab provides spaces for those people to feel at home, to connect with other students who have that kind of identity. Um, and I think that's not unrelated to sort of an interesting consequence, which is that we found that our our lab and our class are like more diverse by many metrics than MIT at large, and certainly than the field of engineering at large. Um, the Digital Humanities Lab every semester is about two-thirds to three-quarters young women. Um, it's typically one-third underrepresented minority students, which is about double what MIT is at large. And so Whether these things are connected, I'm not sure, but I suspect certainly for myself, they are. You know, there there's spaces where you can be a bit of an outsider and have a home where we sort of try to create spaces that are free from some of the, um, let's say, toxic 
baggage that has um, come along with the engineering profession, the engineering discipline over the years. Um, and by providing these spaces, we hope that we can um, nurture a generation of, I don't know, weirder outsiders like ourselves um, to be more more in the mainstream, perhaps, or to have a have an outsized voice in the in the, the mainstream discourse. Og som Ryan Ahmed her fortæller afslutningsvis, og med afsæt i sin egen baggrund, så er der bare generelt masser af værdi i at lade to eller flere kulturer mødes, og der er masser af værdi i diversitet. Som Asu Ostaglar fortalte i begyndelsen, så har Common Ground-initiativet stadig kun et par år på banen, og der er meget at lære endnu. Med nye kurser, nye måder at undervise på, og mere konkret selvfølgelig en aktuel stormflod af kunstig intelligens på tusind forskellige måder, som man også skal forholde sig til. Men samtidig har Asu og hendes partnere i projektet selvfølgelig allerede lært noget. En af de centrale udfordringer har, naturligvis har jeg lyst til at sige, været problemet med at skaffe ressourcer. Ikke nødvendigvis kun økonomiske ressourcer, men også de rigtige lærerkræfter med idéer og kompetencer til at undervise i digitale metoder i krydsfeltet mellem informatik, computational thinking og andre discipliner. Uh, of course, <laughs> there are challenges in everything, uh, even uh, as exciting as it is. Uh, I think the main challenge has been, uh, you know, the faculty interest is there, uh, the student interest is there, but there are some, uh, you know, issues because these are new and on top of the existing academic structures and requirements that have been in place for many, many years. So if you look at any department, they have uh, a major and core classes that they have to teach and uh, staff. And uh, these other classes that we've been talking about are in addition to those classes. So it becomes as an additional uh, responsibility uh, uh, on our faculty and our departments to be able to teach these new classes. So there's that uh, sort of transition, uh, I think, about, you know, This is a new thing. We keep adding new things on top of existing things. Are we going to, you know, stop doing some of those? Or if we cannot, those are still, you know, very relevant. How are we going to introduce these additional resources to be able to uh, teach these new classes? So uh, that has been an issue. There's sort of one way the College of Computing is addressing that issue. And that is through Uh, again, another novel uh, construct of the college called shared faculty. Uh, college of Computing also uh, comes with sort of a commitment to hire uh, 25 new faculty uh, across MIT, and we call them shared. These will be shared between a department and the College of Computing. And these faculty will sit mainly uh, in departments that are outside the college, but their 50% teaching will be in the common ground. So uh, uh, that is essentially how we're, uh, you know, uh, aiming to address this issue of, you know, we need uh, new resources to be able to teach these classes. We have this faculty, we're hiring them, but it's it's uh, quite a bit of work. So it's taking some time. But uh, luckily, we now have a number of shared faculty who will be able to, you know, pick up some of the these uh, ideas and classes that are being developed. Som ASU fortæller, har MIT forløbig forsøgt at takle den udfordring med et særligt hold af undervisere, der fungerer som en slags delt ressource, men det er lidt usikkert, hvor længe det er nødvendigt at fortsætte med den model. Det afhænger selvfølgelig af både økonomi, teknologisk udvikling, nye input fra de studerende, og så af hvilken feedback Common Ground får fra verden udenfor 
for det er afgjort en del af målet, at de tosprogede studerende skal kunne bidrage med noget nyt og særligt, når de ankommer ude i virksomheder og organisationer efter deres studier. Og det er en vigtig del af evalueringen af initiativet, at de bliver godt modtaget, slutter ASU. Uh, so we're exactly at that stage, you know, in evaluating, uh, are we doing well? Are there other things uh, we could be doing? Uh, are the students benefiting from these classes, especially from the from a career perspective? Because uh, I, I think uh, maybe one other challenge uh, is, uh, you know, many employers look for computing expertise in the students. So we're trying to make sure we we can certify this also through these common ground classes. And that's something that still needs more work. We're going to see, you know, when the students graduate and when they go for, you know, different jobs, uh, how this will work uh, together. Uh, so that's the place where we are in terms of, you know, evaluating uh, whether uh, this is perceived by the outside world as you know, the computing expertise that's needed. And is this path and these new developments, new educational initiatives preparing them for those career paths? I think eventually what matters is where these students go, what kind of impact they achieve in the world. So we want to make sure that, you know, our vision and dream is actually preparing them for the right positions. Og med det nåede vi afslutningen af denne episode af Computational Thinking at tænke med maskiner. Denne gang medvirkede Asu Ostaglar, Ryan Ahmed og Catherine Clark fra MIT. Jeg skal dog lige nævne, at Ryan for nylig har forladt MIT og i stedet nu arbejder som senior software engineer hos BandLab Technologies. Vi linker selvfølgelig til mere information om Common Ground fra vores show notes. Og så fortsætter vi som nævnt temaet om digitale kompetencer på universiteterne i de kommende episoder, hvor vi dykker ned i målet om at udvikle digitalt kompetente kandidater på Aarhus Universitet og til sidst på DTU. Podcasten om at tænke med maskiner udgives af IT Vest og er produceret af Podlab. Jeg hedder Anders Høgh Nissen. Tak for denne gang.